Let's discuss with Meg Duke is supported by Yumble. Y'all know I do not have the best eating habits, always a work in progress, and I want to make sure I don't pass that along to my kids. Yumble has options for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and with a Yumble meal, there's no prepping, cooking, or cleaning, so that's time you can spend elsewhere. Taste tested with over 50,000 children, Yumble meals are delicious and healthy, backed by nutrition experts, and help create a healthier dynamic at mealtime. Use code LETSDISCUSS50 for discounts on your orders at yumblekids.com. This episode is sponsored by Boogie Board, makers of award-winning, reusable writing and creativity products. Say goodbye to messy whiteboards and expensive computer tablets with these super affordable alternatives, perfect for group or individual activities and exercises, including communication for nonverbal individuals and honing fine motor skills related to writing. Best of all, there is no charging necessary, no special pins or markers, and they're easy to store. I love my smart notebook for taking notes in the office so I can write down echo words during sessions with clients, then zoop, delete it all with a tap for full HIPAA compliance. Boogie Board has extended me an additional 5% off with my code Let's Discuss, which will apply to on top of their current 20% off sale on their smart notebooks for a total of 25% off. Best of all, this code will also get you 5% off everything else on the site. Check out all they have to offer and make your practice the best it can be at myboogieboard.com. Your mental health is your dope itself, but you don't have to tend to it by yourself. Get a tribe, get inspired, and you'll get ahead. Get someone to talk to, don't keep it bottled in. You're beautifully human, you should remember this. So it's okay for you to feel emotions. At times we all need to clear our heads. And when you do, just holler at Therapy by May. Welcome back to another week. I am so excited. Have somebody here I've been following on Instagram for a little while and uh, reached out. So she was kind enough to say yes. And I'm excited to tell you about her. So Alexa is a licensed psychotherapist in Texas, Illinois, and New Jersey, and is the owner of Relief and Recovery Psychotherapy in Houston, Texas. Alexa is a certified eating disorder specialist and helps adults and adolescents improve their relationships with food, body image, and exercise. She is especially passionate about working with dancers and athletes and also enjoys educating on mental health topics in the community. Everyone, please welcome Alexa Shank. Hello. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, what a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for your yes. <laughs> so usually when I kick off the show, I like to ask people how we know each other, but I always like to save people from being like, I don't know you. You DM'd me. <laughs> That's the answer. But I've been I've been following you on Instagram for a while and finally plucked up the courage to ask. Yeah, I'm so glad you did because I've been following you back. And so it worked out well. Lovely, lovely. So well, let's just jump in. So um tell me, tell me about kind of your journey to the decision to become a therapist. Yeah. So my journey started back when I was a teenager, you know, I had some of my own kind of mental health struggles as do, you know, so many kids, but, um, my parents were really great and got me seeing a counselor pretty early on, um, when I was like 16 or so. And, you know, she really helped me and, and I just thought it was so cool that there was someone whose job was just to like support me and listen to me and, you know, wasn't, uh, like a typical parent adult. <laughs> um, right, right. <laughs> 
you know, I thought, wow, like if this is a job, maybe this is something I would like to do. And so I kind of did some research and I actually had some family friends who were in the mental health field and I picked their brains and um, decided, you know, I think I, I think I am interested in this. And so my senior year of high school, I took psychology 101. Excellent. Um, and of course I loved it. it. I feel like everyone loves that class. It's just, <laughs> you know, it's so interesting. Um, and so I decided, you know, I think, I think this is something for me and went ahead and committed to, um, majoring in psychology in undergraduate. And then along the way, my family friends kind of helped me continue to sort of narrow down what my options were. And I ended up taking some time off from school to pursue a career in dancing. I, I really wanted to become a professional dancer, kind of have it on my checklist. And yes. So once I did that, I decided, okay, it's time to head back to grad school. And um, and and I went ahead and moved forward with a, a career in counseling. And that's how I got to where I am today. Amazing. And I have to ask, because I know people are going to be curious, tell us a little bit about your professional dance as much as you'd like to share, because I find yeah. that fascinating, obviously. <laughs> yeah. So so I grew up, you know, from like the age of three doing all forms of dance, ballet, tap, jazz, hip hop, all of the stuff. Right. Um, and then in college, I got involved with the, I went to the University of Texas in Austin and they had a minor league basketball team that had auditions. So I decided to um, try it out and um, became part of the Austin Toros. Now I think they're they're called the Austin Spurs, but they're owned by the San Antonio Spurs. Okay. And so, you know, we did a lot of dancing and cheering, which was really fun for me to kind of get to do both. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, and because um, I had done, you know, drill team in high school. So I had had a little bit of experience um, with like the pom poms and all of that sure. stuff. Yeah. Um, and so then I just really got into it, did that for a few years and decided, well, the next step is San Antonio Spurs. And so I went for it and I'm you know, worked really hard and made it. And, and that wow. was just like such a dream come true. It was so much fun. Amazing. Oh my gosh. I can only imagine, you know, I don't think I knew Austin had a semi-pro team. So now we all know yes. and of course, everyone knows who the San Antonio Spurs are. Obviously. Yeah. Yes. That's my husband is a San Antonio Spurs fan. He, um, went to high school for part of high school and part of junior high in Bernie, which okay, was, yeah. you know, obviously, and those of the rest that are like, I don't know what that is, it's outside of San Antonio. So okay, yeah. Um, yeah, well, that is just amazing. And what a fun, yeah, what a fun thing to do. And such a, a you know, dancing, gosh, so difficult and athletic and lots of movement there, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, well, thank you for sharing that piece of it as well. Hmm. So tell me a little bit about what made you drawn to working in relief and recovery. You know, I spent several years working at higher levels of care with eating disorders. Mm -hmm. um, I've always worked with eating disorders. You know, being in the dance world um, is kind of what initially got me interested in it. I saw, you know, just a lot of kind of um, unhealthy practices going on, people doing crash diets. And I thought, like, yeah. this would be really great if we actually had, you know, professionals helping guide us into what's sustainable and what works and doesn't work. And so I knew that that was something I wanted to do. And so I started off my, 
you know, career as a therapist working in various uh, higher levels of care. And I, I got so much great experience. It was so much fun that, um, you know, you work longer hours. It's just, it's a big time commitment. And so I always kind of had it in the back of my head that I'd love to establish my own private practice where, you know, I'm not kind of confined by what insurance dictates to me. And, uh, and, and then I would get to really focus too on, um, doing a lot of work with athletes. Cause I noticed, uh, when I was at the center, those were the clients I was most passionate about working with mm-hmm. when they come in was the dancers and the athletes and things like that. And so right around 2020, uh, early 2020, actually, um, I went ahead and set up relief and recovery and just kind of went for it. I was like, you know, I think I'm ready. Let's uh-huh. jump in. And so um, it's been f- fantastic just kind of getting to grow. And, um, you know, of course, the pandemic hit around that time, but right. thank goodness for Zoom. Um, yes. And so I was still able to keep kind of building, you know, building my company. And, and here I am today. Wonderful. I absolutely. I actually moved to Kansas, you know, St. Patrick's Day of 2020. And oh my gosh. Same, yeah. Had the same vision of like, oh, I'm going to start a private practice. Yeah. Like, okay. But, you know, technology <laughs> does work wonders. And I think it's a really beautiful thing. I know some people are hesitant about virtual therapy. Um, and I don't want to discount the ability to share the same space with somebody. And I also know that we, we've gotten very good at using technology and how, how wonderful it is to be able to do something. You know, I see clients on their lunch breaks in their office or, you know, you know, at two o'clock in the afternoon when they have a, a moment, instead of having to leave in the middle of the day and drive somewhere. And of course in Houston, we know about Houston traffic. <laughs> Yes, I think it's made it so much more accessible for people, you know, who otherwise maybe wouldn't be able to to prioritize getting out of the office. That's so right. So I think it's really been, you know, not that we ever want to say anything positive about a global pandemic, but there, you know, we, we do look for silver lightnings and negative yeah. situations. And I, I'm a, a, a firm believer and uh, evangelist of telehealth and the importance of it. And again, like you said, the increased accessibility for sure. Um, All right. Well, I, again, I've loved your Instagram profile for a while. And so I had seen a couple posts that I was like, oh, I want to ask her about that. Oh, I want to ask her about this. Let me ask about that. (laughs) So from one of your more recent ones, when you talked about chain analysis and kind of the, the, the movement towards change, I was curious about what some of the situations or issues were that you're, you've recognized in your practice or um, in your experiences that hold people back when they're kind of in that contemplation stage of change? What is it that has somebody say like, nah, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep where I am right now. I'm not ready for change. What does that look like for you? You know, I think there are several different factors, but I think the, the ones that I see most often that keep people kind of stuck, um, where they're at, I think, you know, fear is a huge factor. I think a lot of folks fear that maybe they don't have enough motivation to sustain the changes mm-hmm. that they make, or, or even, um, what I see quite often too, cause I work with so many, you know, high achievers and perfectionists is that, they fear that if they try to change, that they could fail. And so it's almost easier not to try. And then you don't risk failing. Right. So it's safer. 
Right. Oh my goodness. That is so interesting that you say that. Cause I, and I think I've seen that a lot too, both two things. One is that we set the bar so high, especially with people who are used to being accomplished and achieving and setting a goal and finding a way to do it, um, you know, professionally, intellectually, ed from an education standpoint. And then when it comes to something like an eating habit and they're like, okay, I'm cutting out carbs and I'm only going to eat between these hours of the day. And, da, 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 da. and I want to, obviously everyone knows this, but I want to say I'm not a dietitian or a registered nutritionist. <laughs> so I'm not giving ex ex advice, but I am saying I've had people come and they'll say something and I'm like, and so let's talk about realistically how that's going to look for you. Wow. Because and I, you do, and I have people who are, you know, they get these boxed diets that were prescribed by their doctor or again, no carbs or whatever that might be. And so it's like, I've lost 20 pounds and I feel great. And then it's like, but then I gained 25 back. Right, right. Like they're not sustainable. And so then it's yeah. like, okay, well, I'm worried about starting this new thing. Cause what if I can't sustain it too? Yes. Yeah. And so we talk about, you know, these small measurable action oriented and realistic pieces that we can do that start bringing us towards something um and i yeah i think that's what's supposed to been very helpful for people in in being more willing to change because that fear is very real um oh, yeah. I, what there's a I, I need to memorize this quote because i've used it before on this show and i i don't get it right it's like when the pain of staying the same outweighs the pain of fear that's when change occurs oh i love that yeah it's that's the, it's said more yeah. eloquently than that's that that's like but, the gist of it okay but you but you get the, the the idea yeah because people have that fear and if i do something and also too sometimes giving up the bad habits or the things that we enjoy that's difficult too sometimes we as much as we recognize maybe it's maladaptive or not the healthiest choice some of it's a good that you know we enjoy that and so figuring out a way to get past that hurdle and then of course obviously that fear of change as well absolutely absolutely yeah and i think you know people with eating disorders that is something we see a lot too is that mm -hmm there's a lot of benefits that they're getting from the eating disorder. Mm, you know? mm -hmm. um, sometimes they get lots of praise for the way that they look. And so that can be really hard to want to give that up. Right. Absolutely. You know, I, I watched recently that, um, what was it called? Fallen Angel, the rise and fall of Victoria's Secret on Hulu. Oh, I have no... Yes. I have no stake in that. I'm not a paid sponsor. <laughs> I wish you would sponsored this podcast. Okay. Um, they do not. But I watched that and I thought it was really interesting. I, you know, I went to undergrad. I graduated high school in 03, graduated undergrad in 07. I'm like prime person of the aughts. Like that was my late teens, early 20s, 20s. Um, and I, I was watching a lot of that. And I was like, yeah, that messaging really worked on me. We were really it informed that your love handles dictated your worth as a human and like yeah. Yeah, sure you're on the honor roll at Purdue that's cool but right. like what do your boobs look like <laughs> exactly yeah it was like but this is more important truly and so it's been really interesting if you don't mind me giving a little personal disclosure it's been a really interesting journey for me from that era of course the 90s you know the Kate Moss of it all mm -hmm. um and, and then having two children, 
Um, I was very lucky after my first, I, I wish we would get rid of this expression. I bounced back big uh-huh. there after the first little one, um, breastfeeding. I could eat literally whatever I want. So I was deeply into my binge eating disorder. Cause I was like, I could eat whatever I want. And I, it, it magically took off all of magic. Um, and then with my second child, I got, had another C-section and everyone warned me of the C-section overhang. And I was like, I didn't have that with the first one. I don't have that problem. And then of course I'm, you know, older now <laughs> bodies change. And so I really work on that self-talk of my body has produced two tiny humans and nourished them in a way that I had hoped that that would be possible. And and it, but then that the Victoria's Secret of it all, and I hate to, I hate to bash entirely Victoria's Secret that they weren't alone in the. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're just the representation of this whole movie. If I may, yes, they, it's a, it, the, the, they're kind of the amalgam of all of the different pieces in, in this one quick way to describe it. But, but yeah, and, and I see that with a lot of other people too, that it's, it's recognizing like, how do we talk about the strength that our bodies have? How do we talk about, the things that are, but it's a privilege to be able to move in so many of the ways, I, oh, yeah. for example, the way, the abilities that I do have, um, and recognizing that our self-worth is not in that while also recognizing, balancing that the health aspects of, of movement and eating and post, but again, I wish we could get rid of bounce back. People use that oh. term so much. Oh, how, how long did it take you to bounce back from having a baby and all of that kind of right. Right. That yucky language that I don't love. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's been really interesting for me. I, like I said, I appreciate letting me have a little self-disclosure moment there, but it's, it's very interesting as I work with a lot of, um, elder millennials that we, I call it the Oregon trail generation, right? Yes. <laughs> the Oregon trail millennials, um, and even some younger people and recognizing how we work on changing that self-talk and that view and recognizing now that we consume more external content more than just you know the magazines at the grocery checkout and it's on our phone in our face constantly seven let's discuss is supported by mom and bras with a wide range of bras and bralettes available for chest feeding and pumping mom and dad combines the functionality you need with style and comfort My favorite is the Do Anything Bra, the perfect bra that supports chest feeding and pumping in one truly lovely and comfortable bra. Visit us.momanda.cc backslash let's discuss and use code let's discuss for 10% off your entire order of $40 or more. Yes. Yeah. So um, definitely trying to find the benefits of uh, recognizing the benefits of the negative patterns that we've established, getting away, finding, finding the way to entice ourselves, finding that motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I talk about this a lot too, but the action before motivation, right? Um, that's a big thing with clients who I have experienced uh, depression. They hope that one day they'll roll out of bed and be like, this is the day. Magic. No, no. Yes. And I'm like, that day's likely not going to come. Right. So how do we get our feet on the floor and get the ball rolling mm-hmm. while we lack that motivation and kind of reframing the way that we view motivation and view what it is we're going to do to make that change. So yeah, I really appreciated um 
I, like I said, I've appreciated some of your posts on talking about the ways that, that chain analysis, especially y'all go check out. It's from August 5th. Go back and check it out on her profile. We'll talk. All of your contact will be in the show notes, of course, um, about kind of recognizing that pattern and moving forward and what that looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another post in, from your, actually your, your article from, from Giddy about the meteoric rise of eating disorders, especially during the pandemic. I'd love to hear more, um, kind of what motivated you to write that article. What is, what does the research look like? What is, what's going on in that, in that world? Yeah. You know, a big thing that I noticed, um, of course I I'm friends with a lot of other eating disorder professionals, dietitians, physicians, therapists, and we've all had, you know, multiple conversations about just how we're seeing this pattern of people that come in and they tell us, you know, this all started when I was at home during the quarantine period, or like this all started, you know, right around COVID. And so um, we had all kind of noticed that this was happening and, and you're hearing kind of rumors of it too. And um, so I've had several conversations about like, you know, why is this happening? What's going on? What are y'all seeing with your clients? And, you know, it, it seems like we, we really like to say that eating disorders are kind of like the perfect storm of factors that just come about. And I think that's what happened with the pandemic. It was just this kind of, um, unfortunate, we say perfect, you know, but it's unfortunate. Right, right, right. right. Um, set of circumstances where it really put people who, you know, maybe wouldn't otherwise have been as vulnerable to developing an eating disorder um, mm -hmm. in that situation. So, you know, people are spending more time at home, they're feeling isolated, um, they're feeling lonely. And what do you do when you feel isolated and lonely? Sometimes you eat because it's comforting. Right. Um, sometimes, you know, we're seeing folks who are like, well, I just went ahead and worked out for, you know, six hours a day because I didn't have anything else to do. Uh -huh. And so then, you know, things like that, um, folks who are like, well, I've always wanted to start a diet. So I started a diet and now it's spiraled out of control because I have nothing to do, but count my calories. Right. Right. And so it's kind of just people have, um, encountered all of this extra time, all of these extra emotions that maybe they mm -hmm. don't know how to handle. Right. And, um, that's kind of, I think culminated in this huge uptick in eating disorders. Mm, absolutely. And it's interesting because kind of going back, we talked about like sustainability. Do you now have six hours to work out? Right. Right. So this year or however long it was that you had this situation. And now as things, as we've really mostly gotten away from quarantine and um, that sustainability, of course, we talk about, uh, I, you'll have to help me with, with the expression, uh, like it's exercise binge disorder what is there's like a there's like an exercise yeah. disorder eating I, I apologize I've forgotten the expression for it we kind of just refer to it as either like excessive exercise yeah. or you know you can kind of consider it um as a form of bulimia because it's you're purging via yes. getting rid of calories yeah that okay thank you that the bulimia, bulimia was the word that I was missing there because yes. I remember that I've, I've heard some people use it in that way and I think it's again it's really recognizing 
the more education that we have is so important because I don't think people are aware. They're like, what I'm working on, I'm healthy. What are you talking about? Like, yeah, but you're right. working out three, four, five, six hours a day. And what is the purpose of that? I think also too, you hear a lot of people like, well, I ate that piece of birthday cake yesterday, so I got to work out this much more tomorrow. And that relationship yes. that people have with working out and their eating habits. Right, exactly. It, it kind of goes back to what you were saying about, you know, um, whereas a lot of these things sound like they're they're really great behaviors to begin with, like, right, everyone wants to work out a little bit, everyone wants to, you know, cook more meals or mm -hmm. eat, you know, cleaner. Mm -hmm. um, but is it sustainable? Is it affecting your lifestyle? And, and how is it impacting your functioning? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yes. And of course, too, we talk about, you mentioned tracking calories. And it's interesting because I do encourage people to monitor like moods, triggers, emotions, actions. What, what were this? What was the activating event that led to this thing that led to that action, this feeling that led to this action? And so that can be very helpful as we have those data points to reflect back upon. And I do appreciate that certain people see some benefit in tracking their calories. And then I definitely know some people who, when they're doing that, it becomes obsessive. Yes. 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 And it becomes maladaptive. Um, whereas, you know, your MyFitnessPal, your Fitbit, insert the thousands, I'm sure, of food tracking and exercise tracking apps that exist um, uh -huh. that can be an adaptive use of that. And then when people, it's, it's being, it's that self-awareness piece of like checking in with yourself and making sure, is this still serving me or am I serving it in some way? It, moving forward because um, I definitely have had some clients in the past and I am not any sort of dis disordered eating specialist right I have referred people out when I feel like perhaps they need something a little more specialized but you know of course the same with any other thing right where you your clients have experiences with trauma and oh, yes. with substance yeah right so we're able as therapists and it just touch. comes up and yeah. yeah yeah and so I've had clients in the past too where I'm like let's check and see if perhaps this might have maybe this has gotten out of hand. Maybe yes. this is no longer serving you. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, I appreciate you checking or talking with me about that. Um, and I have kind of already touched on, I was going to bring up again, that chain analysis piece from August 5th, y'all go check it out. Go look at that beautiful graphic um, about the importance of tracking that. And, and how does that work for you um, with your clients? What do you, what do you see as the benefit of that? I, I said, I kind of already touched on the data points and everything, but how does that help people move forward? You know, I have a lot of clients come in and say, um, they don't know how to stop this behavior. Like they have the motivation, they have, you know, the drive to want to stop, um, or get better or whatever, but they don't know where to begin or, or what that would look like. And yeah. so I really love chain analysis because mm -hmm. it helps people to kind of really problem solve, you know, ways that they can prevent engaging in that behavior. You could kind of review the various factors that have led up to that behavior. And then you can also review the consequences that have come as a result of that behavior. And so really just kind of laying it all out there. I know I'm a very visual person. Yes. So when I see that, I'm like, oh, great. Here, here, and here, we can do X, Y, Z going forward. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I love that. I'm a visual person as well. I, I like to be, and I like to be task 
oriented as much as I can be. It's a very interesting paradox because I work with perinatal mental health and I took a beautiful training um, with the godmother of perinatal mood disorders, Karen Kleiman, uh, <laughs> Pennsylvania. I did it virtually, again, virtually, didn't have to fly to Pennsylvania. Um, and she talks about the art of holding, where you just kind of sit with the person and let that space be. And it's funny because I came into that with a solution-focused brief therapy mindset. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> so That's a lot amazing. of my right. So like, I don't want to say it's a it's a paradox. They're not they're not mutually exclusive. But yes. a lot of my clients really do come into me, and they're like, "What can I do? What are my?" And so I find that to be very helpful. And again, I think every client has every conversation with every client has its moment, has its space. So sometimes I'm holding somebody one week, and the next week we're talking about mood trackers or a chain analysis or some combination, <laughs> even within the same session. Um, but it's I a do, balance. It's a everything is. I I say it all the time. Rarely is any one thing want just one thing. Yes. Right. Absolutely. We're often operating. I, it's not black or white. I used to say functioning in the gray, but I had a an LCSW supervisee once who talked about operating in the rainbow, and so I like to use Ooh, that. Thanks, Juan. Like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think if we can kind of bring ourselves away from things needing to be just one thing it can always be very helpful so operating in the rainbow where we can um but yeah i think that's very helpful and like i you mentioned the, the data points being able to reflect back can kind of show us and i've even had people in the past recognize like well when i stopped tracking my mood is when i realized that's when my mood was the worst because i'm like why didn't i track that for a whole week oh i remember that week <laughs> this, this and this happened and i was very and i just didn't have the energy the attention i, did, I forgot whatever it was so um, so yeah, I really, I really love that. And I love that we kind of have a similar modality there. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Uh, so, so understanding, of course, as we know, no one thing is ever just one thing, but understanding every person has a unique journey and experiences that bring them to where they are. What are some kind of common themes that you've noticed in working with people in, in your specialization and in, in, with disordered eating and, and other issues? You know, one thing that I, I I continue to be impressed by, and I, I sort of mentioned this earlier, is mm -hmm. that, um, you know, I work with a lot of high achieving perfectionistic folks and, you know, there used to be, and I think there still is a little bit, there used to be this very big uh, misconception in kind of the eating disorder realm that people who were struggling with eating disorders were just you know, very vain mm. or, you know, they were solely concerned about their appearance. And what I find is that it's actually kind of quite the opposite, like very self-critical. Mm -hmm. They're constantly feeling um, like they're not good enough and they need to work harder and do better. And I think, you know, the eating disorder is just a function of that, rather than, you know, oh, I just want to look the best that I can. Like sometimes that's a piece of it, but it's never really the whole picture. Yes, absolutely. Well, I think that that when you say it like that, it just kind of clicked in my brain about like, obviously, if a person had such deep self-worth that they knew their worth, right, they wouldn't be in a space of trying to please the world Right. From a visual perspective or, or uh, you know, whatever that might be. Um, and so it, it is nice to be able to 
advocate in that way so that people can be educated so that people can be supportive of their loved ones yes. um, because that is I I do hear that a lot too when people try to reach out to for help or support and some perhaps even some accountability of their loved ones and they get that feedback of yeah. stop being so vain or this is so you know whatever it might be why are you so worried um, about your appearance exactly yeah. so when we can speak from a place of knowledge that is a, and understanding what that is it's it's not just about that okay i've said it how many times already not everything it can be a little bit about like look how yes. good look in this bathing suit sure yes but that's not really the core of it the core of it is that self-worth that self-talk um how we want to present ourselves to the world and being able to have that conversation with ourselves and being able to sit in our own skin yes absolutely, absolutely. Yes. Well, I just, I can't thank you enough. I'm, my brain is already swimming with the ideas of our second episode. So hopefully I can maybe ask you back in the future for another. Oh, I would love that. Yes. I love that so much. So tell the fans, tell the family, where can they find you? Sure. Yeah. You can find me. Um, I'm on Instagram. It's just at relief and recovery. And my website is reliefandrecoveryplc.com. You can go in there, always shoot me an email um, if you want to contact me, super easy. Amazing. Well, and those will be in the show notes as well. Um, and again, I've, I've referenced a couple of your, your articles as well. So everyone, you know, that was August 5th. And then let me pull it up real quick. It was um, from Giddy was, oh, well, I didn't write down what date that was. So I apologize to the readers. I'll try to find that. Um, anyway, so we'll find that in the show notes, but it's thank pretty you. recent. Yeah, yes, it's a pretty recent one. So uh, about the meteoric rise of, of eating disorders and, and quarantine. So I thank you again. Thanks to everyone who is tuning in for the family out there. Be curious, not judgmental and have a great one. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of Let's Discuss with Meg Duke. I'd love for you to write a review of my podcast on your app. And don't forget to subscribe so you get a notification when new content is posted. Take a moment to leave a rating too. You can follow me at Therapy by Meg on Instagram and find Meg Duke LCSW on Facebook. You can also look for Let's Discuss content by searching the hashtag Let's Discuss with Meg. Let's Discuss with Meg Duke is executive produced by David Presley and produced by Meg Duke. Our theme song was written and performed by Antoine McDuffie.